Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 78th episode of the podcast, which means not this next coming week, but the following week, I do one of my interaction episodes where I respond to and interact with emails and comments and all the other sorts of things I get on social media and the website. So before I get into the meat of this week's episode, I did want to make a short PSA. I do have a number of things that I could spend time talking about already, but I did want to set a call out if there was anything that you wanted to ask, anything that you would like to add, if you had a comment that you wanted me to maybe interact with, or if you had an accusation, hey, I disagree with you on this, what did you mean, or what do you think about my opinion? Those kind of things are great, and it's good for me to have a diversity of feedback to interact with, not you know, three emails about small stream trout fly rods. I get a lot of those and those are fun and I like interacting with them. I like uh, emailing people back and even addressing them every once in a while on these 10th podcast episodes. But uh, it's great to have a little bit more diversity than that. So uh, Matthew at castingacross.com. Matthew at castingacross.com. If you want to send me an email there or just chirp me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or through the comment form on the website, all of those will do just fine. But Matthew at castingacross.com is the easiest way to do it. So without further ado, into the content of this week's episode, which is about doing dumb stuff. So I have a handful of dumb things I've done that I want to talk about. And to really set the stage, I want to go into a prolonged piece that uh, I wrote a while ago about a very dumb thing I did. And so it starts with me on a hillside thinking. Thought number one, that's where the trout were the whole time. Thought number two, I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall to my death. And looking back all these years later, the ladder is clearer, and in my mind's eye, I can see the pool. I can see the fish. 
I can see where I was when I was fishing, where I had been casting, and where I should have been fishing and standing. At the time, I was just trying to not tumble down a boulder-strewn cliff into the icy waters below. Priorities, I suppose. Growing up in and around fly fishing circles, certain locations take on a more than mythical status. For all anglers, there are rivers which hold a special allure. And then, within these streams, there are particular runs or pools that have built their own reputation. These spots are known because people could frequently be found there. Or, and better, a fish or many fish are always found there. Add a teenager's zeal to all the hype and spilled ink and you have what is tantamount to a holy fly-fishing pilgrimage site. For years, I had read and heard about a pool in a river in the Mid-Atlantic. It challenged the most savvy of fly anglers. The wild browns and native brook trout would rise throughout the year. Due to this being a well-known fact conjoined with the ease of access, these fish would be a subject to an incessant flotilla of artificial after artificial. Consequently, your chances of seeing fish were high, but your chances of catching fish were slim. Today, I'd probably say, well, I'm sure I can catch them. Then, all I said was, I need to see that. Humility doesn't always come with age. What you do lose with age, however, is the ability to just throw your fishing gear in the car and drive four hours in the middle of the night. I woke up in my car just after dawn. Parked a few hundred feet from this fabled pool, I ate a room-temperature Pop-Tart while pulling on my waders while waking up. It was a late spring morning, the kind that makes you pause as you look at your fleece and wonder if you need it. There were already small mayflies and caddis flitting about. There was already a streamer on my line, which I cut off because I was feeling optimistic. A lot of fears were going through my mind. Someone else was going to be fishing there. No fish were going to be rising. I wasn't going to be in the right place. I can still vividly remember wading into the back of the pool, rod in my right hand and leader in my left. All three fears were immediately relieved. I was alone. Trout were rising. This was definitely the spot. Not only was I alone in the pool, I was alone as far as I could see upstream and down. Moreover, I was right where I was supposed to be. Rocks I had heard about were essentially just as I had pictured them in my mind. Currents that were described by talented riders were instantly perceivable. Most importantly, trout were rising. There were dimples, there were slurps, and there were rolling porpoise rises that flashed golden from the bright flanks of the wild brown trout. I tied on something that resembled what I had been seeing buzzing about the water. A pale mayfly done. The first cast was surprisingly good, but wasn't met with any response. More of the same followed. I casted and casted. I changed flies. I dropped from 5x to 6x to 7x. I changed flies again. I sat on a rock. I took off the fleece I didn't really need. I changed flies again. The fish, unfazed, continued to rise. I kept at it for hours. It is amazing how actively feeding fish can distort your perception of time and reality. Watching them eat real bugs compelled me to stay in one spot and convinced them to eat my fake bugs. No one was waiting for their turn. I didn't have anywhere to be. And why leave fish to find fish? Well, eventually, I left these fish to find fish that were willing to play ball. Dumber fish, preferably. For whatever reason, I decided to scale the opposite bank and move upstream from that side. The side from which I entered the river was a road. The other side was a steep rise to a ridge that rose a good 50 feet above the river. 
It must have been something I saw in the pool above me. Perhaps the current came in from the near side and the prudent position for casting was the other bank. Maybe I saw a fish. Most likely I was frazzled and just moved to move. So I moved, beginning to climb the boulders and dirt leading upwards. Immediately the ascent was treacherous. I plodded up the loose forest floor in my wading boots, every step strengthening my resolve to get to the top while simultaneously increasing the force with which I asked myself, why? Mind you, this was a time when most wading boots, at least the wading boots I could afford, were little more than thick canvas socks with laces and felt soles. The combined effect of the terrain and my footwear put me in a position in which Sisyphus would have been at an advantage. It was precarious to say the least. About two-thirds of the way up, I grabbed onto a sapling for a brief reprieve. It was then that I looked down. You know, they say to never look down. In this spot, here's why. I saw how many trout were really in that pool. There were more fish than I had thought there were, lots more. Most were undetectable from where I had been casting from. Many were facing in the opposite direction than I had assumed. Some were enormous. It was perplexing how fish could be so cool calm and collected after I had thrashed their pool for hours on end. It was equally disheartening and exciting. Yet no fish was going to get me to retrace my steps and descend the cliff. I'll do a lot to get into casting position, including being slightly reckless. But life and limb? And the safety of my fly rod? That's where I draw the line. And the situation I had scurried myself into past that line. It was dumb. It was unnecessary. It was frightening. That was then. And... In a bit of a change of heart from the beginning of this piece, it is now. When I set out to write about this experience, I was sure that I was going to talk about the risks we take as fly fishers, how danger is intrinsic to climbing and wading and being in the extremes of weather. But it's all for the fish, right? There are plenty of more hazard outdoor activities. I wasn't free climbing or running an ultramarathon or base jumping. I was, however, climbing up a steep bluff with equipment that both hampered efficiency and impeded safety. Reliving the sights and sounds and emotions of that day took me from one perspective to another. I often use hyperbole to talk about trout and flies and rivers. As a literary device, it's fine. In the real world, literally scaling mountains while unprepared is foolhardy. Seeing that distinction might have been something that needed to come with age. Honestly, I can't quite tell if the fear has come with age or if age has revealed the fear that was just suppressed. But after a brief respite, I resumed my climb. I didn't watch the trout. I just made my way up to the top of the ridge. Once I got there, I moved down to the next pool. I caught some fish. I caught them on dry flies. These fish weren't any better, worse, or less intelligent than the trout in the famous pool. I fished until dark. And whether it be youthful naivete or the trout outweigh stupidity equation, I can't say for sure. I remember thinking that my old wading boots were terrible for hiking and a new pair might be my next purchase. I remember thinking that there was a good sandwich spot between me and the interstate. I remember the missed opportunities of big, renowned, rising trout. Today I remember that I, like many young fly fishers before me, am blessed to have narrowly missed a brush with the threats that come with being outdoors. In a life full of blessings, it's not one I should ignore, nor should I ignore the daily maturing process and the perspective that that brings. Growing older means remembering those things as much as the fish, the rivers, and even my shifting priorities. That was from two posts from 2018. One was called Rising Trout and Fear, and the other was called Rising Fear and Trout. 
And it happened just like I said. I climbed up a hillside, and I shouldn't have done it. There was really no reason to do it. It was seeing what looked like the simpler way around, and I think we've all been there before, where we know where we want to cast from. But is it worth wading through that really deep current? Is it worth climbing that steep hillside? Is it worth stretching way too far uh, from one rock to another rock? You know, in the moment, it feels like the right thing to do, but once you're kind of dangling between two very, very difficult situations or clinging to a sapling on the hillside or knowing that the next step, you're probably just going to have to expect that you're going to fall in and float downstream to get yourself out of the situation you're in, you realize it would have been so much better to just walk around, take a little bit more time, do it the right way, not the fast way. There's so many of these situations that I've gotten myself into and so many of them that I continue to get myself into. And, you know, it started early on. I can remember one of the very first times that I thought this river is much bigger and much scarier and much more dangerous than I thought. I was down in Arkansas. I had the privilege of some of my earliest fly fishing was done on the TVA rivers in Arkansas, the white and little red and all of those. And I was in the white, and I was on the far side where I was, kind of close to the dam. The uh, access was all on the um, east side or the, the river right side. And when I was fishing, I f- saw a bunch of fish rising on the far side. So I walked all the way over and got into a situation where it was actually easier, and because the water was so cold, to kind of get up on the far bank and make my casts into the river from the bank. Isn't that always the way? You know, once you have waders on, you want to be out of the river. When you don't have waders, you want to be in the river. But I digress. So I'm making these casts, and I'm catching fish, and they're, you know, decent-sized fish, and I'm having a great time. And then the sirens happen. Well, I'm close enough to the dam that when the sirens go off, it is very, very quickly that the water starts rising. So what do I do? I was a teenager probably at this time, and uh, of course, I didn't start crossing the river right away. So places where we're up to my you know, mid-thigh or waist, by the time I get in the water, they are lapping at the top of the pocket on the front of my waders. It was not safe at all, but thankfully, I didn't have a lot of tackle, and I had neoprene waders on at the time, and so I could kind of take steps and like leaping like uh, um, somebody on the moon as they're walking you know I would take a step and kind of float a couple of feet and and land and and I could move downstream as the same pace as the river and uh, there wasn't any deep hole or any you know waterfall below me so I was able to make my way back across without getting wet super dangerous not safe at all but it's one of those things that at the moment I thought you know, whatever, I just got to get it back across. Worst case scenario, I swim. Yeah, swim in neoprene waders. That wouldn't have worked at all. But looking back on it now, I think, my goodness, if my kid tried to do that, I wouldn't take him fishing for a year. But again, that's what happens when you're young and probably a little bit stupid. Another situation I think I've mentioned on the podcast before is that a buddy and I were doing some stream monitoring in Shenandoah National Park. And we, our deal was we had to get the research in because we had certain research quotas that we had to hit for the project that we were working on. And so we were having to do uh, macroinvertebrate sampling and we were having to do some stream quality uh, data collection and we were having to find our way to all these waypoints that had been established by the park. And this was before GPS was a readily available thing. So it was maps and descriptions and actually finding um, stakes that had a little bit of orange spray paint on top of them and a 
orange and brown uh, fall foliage floor. And so the deal was we had to get all of that done before we went and got our fly rods because we knew, and this is, again, as, as you know, high school students, we had enough foresight to say we're not going to get any work done if we were our fly rods. So we would do our research as quickly but as good as possible, and uh, then we would go back and get our fly rods and then go back into the uh, park to go fish. Well, inevitably, you'd come across fish while you're doing these samplings. And there's one particular fish that my buddy saw that we wanted to go back to this pool. And we so we had to hike back out of the park to our car, re-get all of our stuff ready, and then go back up into the park, probably a mile-plus hike, and then you fish. Well, it's not just one cast. It's not just one fish. You keep going, and pretty soon it gets dark. And it's not that the trail was relatively small, but the trail was small enough, and the train was rocky and hilly enough, and there was enough bear sign from earlier in the day, and your imagination starts getting the best of you when you are that age, where it just wasn't that great, and we were unprepared. We might have had like a three-inch pocket knife in between us. No matches, no emergency blanket, certainly no cell phone, no flashlight, you know, and it just wasn't a good idea. And the reality is I've gotten myself in similar situations relatively recently where before I started carrying a headlamp in my pack all the time when I was fishing in any sort of situation where I might be fishing anywhere close to dark, I uh, got myself into some situations where it was just way too dark and it wasn't safe. And it wasn't that, you know, I'd get lost, but very easily you can twist an ankle, you can lose something. I mean, that's not life and limb, but man, it's no fun to maybe lose a tip section of your fly rod or uh, even just lose like a, a couple of flies off of your pack. I mean, it's something small, but something that's certainly avoidable. There's other stuff like getting stuck in mud past your knees. I mean, those are the kind of things where it, what's the risk reward? The reward is very, very low. It's not like we fish in these situations where the only access to a particular spot is to go through the direct line to the casting position. If you stop and you think and you let that kind of buck fever that you get when you see a good-looking run or good-looking pool, you clear that out of your mind, you assess the whole situation that's around you. That does a couple of things. And here's actually like not just a story but some practical information for you. You know, it does a couple of things. One, you're not being pragmatic. Just how do I get to where I need to be? Well, that's important, but the journey matters as much as the destination. Not only for your safety. So I was thinking of one situation recently where I was stuck in mud and it was all because I was trying to get in this nice tight lane on this this creek where there was a lot of brush on either side. And so I was coming at it from one bank and the current was coming fast on the far bank. Well, what that meant was that that side was scoured out, and the side I was accessing the river on was silty and muddy, and it just, every step got deeper and deeper mud, and it was more suction and getting stuck. And I ended up where the water was deep enough that I think I probably would have been okay, really deep water coming on the other side, but coming the way I was, it just wasn't safe. I couldn't get enough footing. I, I wasn't balanced. And so I had to retreat. And by that point in time, I was all flustered and frazzled and I didn't want to even do it anymore. But I've been back to that spot. And if I would have just walked back down, crossed at a, a place further downstream, 
come up the bank and come into the river from the other side. It was deeper, yes, but at least I was on rock and I was on stable footing and I was able to make those casts. And so it wasn't just a safety thing. It was also an angle thing. It was an approach thing. It actually was a better casting angle to to be on that far bank than it was to come uh, from from directly upstream. It just there's less obstructions, and I could see more of what I was fishing to. The spot actually wasn't even as good as I thought it was, but I could see that when I came at it from the closer bank. So just like hunters take time to uh, scout and find shooting lanes before they even bring their rifle into the woods, I think there's something to be said for that for fishing. You know what? This probably would have taken care of the situation that I recounted early in the podcast. If I would have stopped, assessed where I was, maybe even gone back up to the road on the the near side where I enter the stream and looked up at the pool in front of me, I could have easily seen that, you know what? The better angle of approach would be to go past the pool, cross the river at a bridge, and then come down the, the other bank as opposed to crossing through the pool with all the fish in it climbing up this sheer vertical cliff and risking life and limb for a few wild trout. There's lots of stories. I mean, I can I can tell you about dumb things I've done all day, but the moral of the story is, um, one, make good choices. Uh, a fish or lots of fish isn't worth getting hurt or, or worse. Um, and also, take your time because it's not just getting to that spot and staying safe. A lot of the same techniques can be employed for finding the right spot to fish and the right spot to cast and putting all that together to make sure your presentation is right where you want it to be, right how you want it to be. Sometimes you only have a few shots at fish. If they're particularly wary fish, if they're particularly spooky fish, if they're particularly pressured fish, then you might only have one or two casts. So you want to make sure all those things are lined up to improve your chances and, of course, to stay safe. This week on the website, the first article is called Astral Sturgeon, the PFD for Fishing. So I can't state this enough. I am not an expert paddler. Canoes and kayaks are a lot of fun, especially because I live in New England and everything is just so swampy and all the shorelines are covered in trees. And it's not like down south where I grew up and fishing in Virginia where you could just kind of walk to a pond or you could walk to a river and it was, you know, rocky or, or maybe even a field up against the, the bank. Here, I need watercraft to get out there. And if you're in watercraft and if you're by yourself, then the right thing to do, no matter how inconvenient you may perceive it, how uncomfortable it might feel, the right thing to do is to have a PFD. It increases your chances of survival and that can't be overstated. But Oftentimes, PFDs are uncomfortable. You're kind of grabbing whatever's around. I know where I usually go, um, they have a handful of uh, life vests, and it's just they kind of smell funny, and they've got cobwebs, and the buckles don't always go. You end up tying the straps together. It's just not good. It's probably not safe. But I've been fishing with the Astral Sturgeon. So Astral is primarily kayaking company. They have a few fishing specific products, not fly fishing specific, but fishing specific. They have plier holders and kind of lash points for nippers and hemostats and things like that. But the sturgeon's a cool life vest. It is, um, I mean, it's, it's the real deal. It's a type three PFD that is going to keep you safe and afloat, but it is made of very lightweight materials. It is very comfortable, full range of motion, shoulder down almost to your elbow so that you can make the, the cast that you need to make. Nothing's going to rub on you kind of coming um, up in the, the front of your armpits towards your chest. It's a great for casting, but then there's a pouch on the front. It's, it's not a huge 
pouch where you can put all your fly boxes, but there's enough space there for a decent sized fly wallet. So I've got a fly wallet with a bunch of my poppers and some bass flies in it, and that goes right in there, no problem. Places for leader and tools and license and um, you know some shooting heads and things like that. They slide in there, no problem. Cell phone, all those important things. And uh, then you just have a little bag in the boat where you can get everything else. But uh, full review is on the website called Astral Sturgeon, the PFD for fishing. Then Wednesday, I wrote Breaking Fish Photos Forge False Fulfillment. So if you go to the website or if you follow me on social media, you saw a just handsome, glamorous picture of me holding a fall fish. And uh, it's an enormous fall fish. And you know it's enormous because it, it's like as wide as my body is. Never mind the fact that my hands are uh, even wider than my body in the way that you, the, the picture comes across. So I talk about pictures like this and why they're kind of silly, but they're not worth getting all worked up about. This week's recommendation on the podcast is Fly Fishing Austin in Central Texas by Aaron Reed. Now, I've fished in Texas before. I've not fly fished in Texas. I've done bass fishing and crappy fishing in Texas, gar fishing. Texas is, is, is a much more diverse angling state than people give it credit for. And just through looking at this book, Austin seems like a place with a pretty amazing set of angling opportunities. So I don't plan on being in Austin anytime soon, but I know that people who read Casting Across and who listen to the podcast live in and around uh, Texas. And this is a great book. And I, I, I've flipped through it and I've read different bits and pieces. I've kind of taken the approach of where I flip through it until I see a picture that catches my eye. And uh, then I read what it's talking about. And I love a good guidebook. And I love a guidebook with good pictures and with uh, lots of very practical information. So this guidebook is is a, a good one to pick up if you are in Texas, if you plan on going to Texas. And again, it's just done very well. You know, it's hard for a book like this in this genre to compete with the information that's available on the internet today. And so I have to hand it to um, the folks at The Local Angler, which is a, a series that uh, this book belongs to, and uh, all of the resources that you can find in this. But even if you're planning on being there for business or travel or, or anything like that, it's definitely worth checking out. Again, lots of cool pictures. Fish species I didn't even know swam in the United States, but I'll put a link to Fly Fishing Austin, Central Texas in the show notes of this podcast this week. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.